Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is Joe Hagan. I'm here with Emily Jane Fox. Hello, hello, hello. Another week. Um, this week sucks. I don't know it how sucks. else to put it. I'm sitting here really just sort of brain fried by the attention that we have to pay to what's happening and the burden of it on our conscience and on our sense of responsibility as journalists, but as citizens, as people. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, you know, and I think that people know this, but, you know, your first response to these things is not as a newsmaker or a news reporter. It's as a human being, you, and especially for me, and I know you, you're a, you're a new mother. Yeah, I got three kids. They're all like in the zone, in the same age zones as these kids. And today I'm reading in the news, there's some confusion about what happened with the law enforcement who showed up, whether they waited for 40 minutes to go in and held parents back from going in. This sort of nightmare scenario, you listen to this and you're just filled with fucking rage. You know, I'm just filled with fucking rage. The rage feels boundless. And it's just a confluence of this moment of all the things that you and I talk about here every week. Like it is a an issue in Washington. It's an issue with the culture in this country moving in a direction that we don't recognize. It's an issue with a system being broken. It's an issue with the police now. All of these things that are, are seemingly disparate topics that we talk about sort of in isolation because you and I talk for an hour a week to really smart people who are experts in their field. And so a moment like this kind of gives us a, a chance to pause and look at everything from an aerial view and see how all the disparate things are connecting. And all of them are creating just a broken mess. And I honestly feel for the first time, and it, look, this whole thing hits different this time. And everyone says a parent being a parent changes you. And until now, I've sort of probably been like, it didn't change me. Like, I still feel exactly the same. I just like have more responsibilities and I love someone so much. So now, but this week I realized how much I have been changed as a parent because I think you understand children so differently as a parent. It's not that you change. It's that you become an expert in child. And I think that that's why it has felt so different to me this time. I understand what it is like for the child in that moment. Mm. And that is what I cannot sleep for the last two nights because I keep thinking of what a child thinks in that moment of abject terror. And it just makes me feel physically ill to think about. Honestly, for the first time in my life, I feel like the, the experiment of America has failed. Like it's over to me. I don't, yeah. I don't know how we go back from here because we had this idea 300 some odd years ago and it worked really really well for a really long time and for you know most of my life it was the one place in the world where there was freedom where there was a functioning democracy where there was a real sense that if you came to this country you could work hard uh, have nothing and then get ahead and make something of yourself there was there was the promise of the american dream and that promise could be realized and you and i saw it realized Time and time and time and time again. And I don't think that the American dream exists like that anymore. I don't think this is the best country in the world. I don't think this is the safest place to raise your kids. I don't think this is the place where you come. It's a beacon of light and a, a place of opportunity. I don't feel that anymore. 
And I don't think that I'm wrong and I don't think that I'm overreacting. Uh, I'm not saying I'm like, I'm going to move and leave and, and this place is terrible and whatever. I just think that era is over. We're no longer the greatest country in the world if this is what's happening. You know, it's funny. I've been feeling that recently, even before this, that we've hit a wall. I mean, there's talk in all the pontificators and the op-ed pages and the essayists talk about, you know, there had been an idea of progress in this country. A maybe a, like a phantom belief that we were all headed somewhere better. And this was the project. And we are not just stalling, but regressing. Mm. We are getting freedoms taken away. The whole culture seems to be getting dumber, more angry, more full of resentment. Yes, there's opportunity here, financial opportunity to get a job, but that's all there is now. You know, there's no sense of a bonded, of a union, what was considered a union. And I have to say that, you know, we had this episode a couple of weeks ago about Democrats and how failed they are and why can't they get their shit together and they don't seem to be basically operating as a counter to this march of white nationalist madness and bullshit on the right. And so what the fuck are we going to do? And for like... This week, this horrific fucking thing happens, and I'm looking for the response that I can relate to. And you know what? I did find it. It was an unelected official. <laughs> but when Beto went up to Beto O'Rourke, went up to that press conference where Abbott was, and he got in that motherfucker's face, he showed some spine, some gut for the first time that I've seen any Democrat have any fucking guts for a long time. And he got in his face and he took the heat and he put it in their face. And they were all pissed and calling him a son of a bitch and he's politicizing it. No, fuck them. You know what I mean? Politicizing it? Come on. I mean, it's – and it did make me feel in that instance – it's not like it changed the world or anything in that moment, but he opened up a slight little crack there that made me realize that these guys are scared. They know that this is fucked up and that they cannot spin it. How are they going to spin it? The facts of the matter are is that Abbott made it legal all over Texas to – you don't have to have any – you know, there's no limits on buying guns there. The second right? you turn 18. Second you turn 18. Okay, so – and they reduced funding for mental illness. So even though they're going to try to go to the mental illness thing, there's nothing there for them, right? They've got this, you, got, you know, people have read about it. They know it's, there's a stalled bill in the Senate that they won't even do the background checks, universal background check. It's madness. And somebody needs to get in their face and stand up to them. Uh, I don't want to talk up better work all day long, but I did profile Let's just pause for a back. second. Let's, yeah. so you... For those of you who aren't familiar, you, Joe, mm -hmm. launched and closed Beto's uh, yeah. bid for presidency. You wrote a cover story of Vanity Fair that announced he was running for president yeah. um, that I'm sure everybody listening to this has read and seen and heard about. It was a historic moment and you yeah. were at the center of it. So you know this man yeah. intimately and spent a lot of time with him and uh, thought about his political future. So hearing your thoughts on this are incredibly useful. Well, okay, okay, but I, and that's a whole complicated story about, you know, the media just came down on him like a fist. Mm. You could say it was because he's on the cover of Vanity Fair. You could say because he said I was born to be in it, which in the context of what he said was not what people, you know, they misconstrued mm -hmm. it and used it as an, whatever. Uh, you know, at the time, 
there was something in the air among the Democrats that they didn't want him, right? Mm -hmm. It was a white guy. They thought he was arrogant. Why don't you move aside and let other people do it? Fine. But the fact is, having met him and spent time with him, I thought he was the most genuine politician I've ever met. Wow. And I thought he was the real deal. But maybe he needed to go into the wilderness and take some licks and fail and then and learn something and his hair is gray now and now come back with another level of wisdom and fight the fight, right? And I will say this, that in that moment I just mentioned a minute ago, it was the first time I've seen a politician represent what I felt and what I wanted to happen, which you is know, to confront these fuckers. I mm -hmm. feel that and I agree. And when you hear what he said and how he said it, and it's exactly what every person who I'm talking to is feeling. And that's really refreshing to get that. Mm -hmm. And what makes me sad about it is everyone is so cynical now I know. that about our elected officials, that that could never be perceived as just a man who believes in the right thing, whose heart is gutted like ours, and he was confronting officials in his state where he lives and where he has held positions of power and enjoys a lot of privilege, right? That we are so cynical about anyone who's in politics, that everyone who's in politics must have an ulterior motive. That's the place where we automatically come from when someone is just doing yeah. anything that speaks truth to power. That is what is broken to me. Like we hate I, our elected officials so much that we can't even, there's no world in which someone just wants to do the right thing anymore. And, and people are right to feel that way because 99.9% .9 of the politicians in Washington don't want to do the right thing anymore. They are so self-interested and obsessed with their own power that they can't even pass basic beyond common sense I think about one day having to explain this country to my daughter, and I can't. And I think that when I cannot explain a basic, fundamental, civic truth to a child, we've, 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 we're over. It's done. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's broken. It, it's, and there's, it's illogical. And we're on our own. You're on your yeah. fucking own. That's what That's we're what starting to learn, you know? And it's so, yeah. it's heartbreaking because so many people pour all their energy into campaigning and doorstopping for a candidate and they think politics is the tool, the only tool. And you know what? It doesn't work. It's to totally uh, cynical. Like you said, it's saturated in all kinds of gross corruption that we all know about and we find about out about it and we just have to let it roll off our backs and say, well, okay, the corporation's paid, NRA is paying for these guys and whatever is paying for this person. But that sense of being on your own it's one that I have resisted. You know, I want to thank that organization. And, but, you know, we're waiting for like, we're sitting around waiting for a savior. And there are none because the system itself does not produce saviors. But it honestly, corrupts even saviors. If, <laughs> even, if it, even if a savior came to exist and just magically appeared, I don't think anyone would have the tolerance for it because everyone wouldn't expect yeah. that it's real. We're well, so. That's, and that's what happened so to me. That was the lesson I took away from the Beto O'Rourke experience. Yeah. You know, I, that piece that I did, it was also, I was attacked for writing it, right? Sure. And I was like, well, I have to defend my piece. I'm not here to defend him. You know, he said some things in there that got him in trouble or whatever. Okay, fine. But there That's was not just... not your responsibility. Not my responsibility. But afterwards, I did look at the whole thing 
and think, ah, wow, there's no hope for having a guy who, quite frankly, believed in what he was saying. I mean, I'm sure other professional politicians, Adam Schiff, Jamie Raskin, <laughs> these types of people, I'm sure they believe what they say. They're, I mean, they're, impa- they're passionate people. They've given great speeches uh, when they're failed attempts to, to uh, impeach Trump, for instance. And I was moved by them. But let's think about, like, uh, since Joe Biden has been president, since the Democrats have had power, it's like they can't, they could have solved some of these problems. Anyway, I well, digress. Uh, I'm, I'm just, like, I'm so frustrated, you know, and I know you are too. I just feel like I don't even want to look at any of their faces. I don't want to watch any of their speeches about this. Everyone was posting that that speech that Chris Murphy gave yeah. on the floor in, in the wake of this tragedy earlier this week. And I didn't even want to watch it because it's just, to me, it's it's so disheartening to even look at these people who were, they, they received millions and millions of dollars and had, so many people spending their time, their time away from their families, time away from their jobs, voting to get these people in and working their butts off to have Democrats in office, and it did nothing. And I'm, you know, I, I, I also keep seeing people say, like, this is why you need to vote in November, and this is why you need to, and it's like, really? We voted. We we had the highest turnout yeah. in, in an election in, in 2016, and People came out in 2020, and I presume turnout will be pretty high in 2022. And it doesn't matter. Like, the system has just failed. And I don't mm-hmm. think that it's going to work. Like, even when you have a majority in the White House and in Congress, they're still doing nothing. And I mean, obviously, they're not going to overhaul our system. This has been our system. It's just, it's, it feels just like a failed experiment to me. I keep saying it over and over again, but I just, I don't see a path through it anymore. And I, I have gotten on this podcast so many times and said the same things like, this is why voting is important and make sure you're registered to vote and make sure you get your COVID vaccine and all these things. And it's like, yeah. all right, well, we did all those things and here we are. And where do you go from here? Can I ask you a question? Because you you obviously spent a lot of time with Beto, but I know that you've also spent time reporting on Mitt Romney. And I believe that Romney is the senator who's taken the most amount of money from the NRA. Yeah, $13 million. Yeah. And so I don't know if any of your reporting or any of your just like sense of him as a general person can explain that. But all week I've, I've sort of filed it away in my brain to ask you about it. Well, listen, the NRA has just been the bread and butter of the GOP for decades, right? Since Reagan. And in that time, both the NRA and the GOP have morphed into something that has gone, that has left Mitt Romney in the dust, right? Mitt Romney, I don't know when he took all that money, but I have to doubt it was like mostly in the last four years. Mm. I'm sure some of it was. I mean, he lives in a state where there's, it's like a big outdoor hunting population. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it has something to do with that. It's like you have to do it if you want to get elected in Utah, right? But, I mean, I'm fascinated with Mitt Romney because in the last couple of years, he has suddenly shown a weird sense of principle and spine. And similar to Liz Cheney, and they've voted in a certain way that's basically got them excommunicated from their own party. 
which all of which continues to shock me as somebody who's been reporting for the last 20 years on politics, because both of these people were considered the hard right of the previous iteration of the GOP. And now they're considered these like flaky liberals who, uh, you know, have undermined the purity of the party as it's drifted mm. into this white nationalist Trump thing. Sure. I mean, in some ways I've been looking to somebody like Mitt Romney, like, hey, you have, he's, he's probably not going to be in office. How much longer is he going to last? Maybe it's, you know, he did stand up during the BLM protests. You remember he marched. Uh, okay. And I interviewed him for the oral history of the George Floyd thing. And so, yes. and he voted to impeach at least once, once with, against Trump. He's shown these like little moments of principle, but you know, Isn't he's still so careful. Sad, Joe? He's just like this careful guy, you know. Joe, are elected officials showing a moment of principle as something that is worth noting is like the saddest sentence It's the saddest ever. thing ever. I no, I, I agree. And listen, we know that politics is a horse trading game. Correct. It always has been from well before all this. And there's some people that are really good at it, and they try to get as much of their principle over the finish line as they possibly can, right? That's from a previous era, right? It's a new era where it's just like winner-take-all, zero-sum game. There's no cooperation or anything. It's just like, so you just have these extremes battering against each other, trying to undermine each other at every moment. And it started with Mitch McConnell and the, you know, the party of no against Obama. But it also has to do with Democrats being wishy-washy and spineless and not being, not be willing to wield power in the way that could get things done. And they're afraid to infuriate some invisible independent who's going to like be upset about gun laws or abortion or something. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. I mean, I wish I, my fantasy, obviously this was, it will never happen. And there were extenuating circumstances because we were in the middle of a global pandemic and Mm -hmm. very challenging environment in general. But my fantasy would have been that Biden came in and said, I'm not going to run again. Like, this is Mm -hmm. it. I'm going to pass gun reform. I'm going to, Tackle infrastructure. I'm going That's to right. do do two things that that for years mm-hmm. Democrats have been promising, but they haven't been able to do because they were terrified of getting just their asses handed to them, and then and the next election cycle, and just done the incredibly unpopular thing and not cared about it. Right to do the I, right I, thing I, and I say like, I know this isn't going to win. One hundred percent. Like cancel the filibuster and then get all this stuff passed. Exactly. If Mitch McConnell is willing to not give Obama a Supreme Court choice that is his right, you know, with months to go until the election. All right, well, fuck them. You know what I mean? Cancel the filibuster, push through everything you want. The national, uh, you know, abortion rights, right? Make it so. Just do it all. Run the freaking table. If you, if I mean, why not? Because these people are obsessed with their own power and their own lifespan of being in power. And so rather than getting elected, look, I don't think everyone is in Washington has no morals or goes there for the wrong reasons. But I do think that power corrupts. And I think in order to win, you have to make all sorts of deals with various versions of devils and you're beholden to people. And I think uh, even people who go there with the best intentions leave there kind of as the worst. And I don't think that there are politicians in Washington today 
who are banding together to do the right thing because there aren't enough people who are not there for for the greater good. Most people are there for self-interest or they've fallen prey to some self-interest in some form that is pre- preventing them from actually taking action. And I just like, okay, so Democrats aren't going to be in power for the next at least eight years. And okay, so what what happens to the country in the next eight years? I shudder. To huh. think where no, we're going I mean, to be. it's like it's apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic, and the vision that has emerged of what the GOP would like to turn the country into is so antithetical to. I mean, this has been part of the struggle for me, and I'm, and I hear you too. Is that you know, we had one idea of what America should be. And it's just crumbling before our eyes. And the Republicans and the Trump white nationalists, you know, everything that we've seen emerging is some kind of grotesque bastardization of America in the guise of pretending that they are the true America. And it makes me sick. Let me ask you something that, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a story um, that Charlotte Klein is going to be putting up on our site. And it's our wonderful, brilliant colleague, brilliant colleague. At the Hive. And it's about, Jake Tapper apparently mentioned this on CNN, which is the, he said, maybe it's time for the media to show images of the dead children to people. Maybe it's time for people to see exactly what's happened. You know, it's been this sort of like, in the media for years, there's always been a kind of code. We're not going to show that kind of thing. It's so horrible. And I... I don't. I have very mixed feelings about that. And it I mean, seems I personally like, cannot imagine looking at it. I think it would have to be in a way that the parents all agreed felt comfortable. I yeah. don't think, or like, or mm-hmm. people who were in the school or people who were related. I think. Yeah. I don't know how you come to some sort of agreement where that is, or where they all agree that this is something that they feel comfortable with. I think if that's a non-starter, yeah. I understand the sentiment. Sure. Well, people are so. Desperate. I mean, sort of like throw anything at the wall. I, I yeah. I mean, I guess. I guess like this is why war reporting is so important, right? If you don't see the atrocities of war, mm-hmm. then you don't know what's happening. I think that's why I like the fact that you could see footage of Vietnam mm-hmm. was very powerful and and a much more powerful way to cover the war. And that's why you saw protesting the way you did because people actually saw the horrors of war, right? So I think if one side doesn't see the horrors of this or sees the horrors of it, but then it's like, yeah, but I'm guaranteed to this right or whatever. Understanding that an assault rifle, an assault weapon is not a musket, which is Mm -hmm. what existed when the, the framers wrote the constitution and understanding that these are weapons of absolute destruction that make anybody unrecognizable, that blow you to bits. These are not... This is not well-regulated militia time. We are in a weapon of absolute destruction, and, and it's just a completely different thing. So if we're able to show that, mm-hmm. maybe that's effective, but I don't know. It seems absolutely brutal. Well, yeah, and it also just seems like yet another step in the direction of living in this kind of uh, ghoulish reality, <laughs> news reality that's constantly – Showing you every grain of how horrible it is, 
you know, um, and where does it end? It's just, okay, it doesn't move. If it doesn't end up moving the needle, then you're just living in an even worse world than you were living in before. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel bad coming on the microphone like this. I feel like uh, you and I have been really good since we started doing this podcast more than two years ago now. Yeah. Uh, finding the light and the silver lining, or at least trying to bring some levity to at times that were really challenging. We were we lived to the depths of a really tough year, a, mm-hmm. a scary election, a time of isolation. Um, of real uncertainty and despair in this world. But I feel the worst about the state of things that I have felt since you and I started doing this. And I don't, I don't even want to find the sunny side because I feel like no, it's not, it's not right. Well, it doesn't exist as far as we can see. We have like a very- I don't know where you turn. Like, obviously you and I are able to find joy in our lives. We're not sitting here saying like everything's right. a misery- our lives are able are able to go on, right? We're able to do our work. We're able to be with our families. We're able to mm-hmm. enjoy the things that bring us joy, right? This isn't. That's, we don't need to be dramatic. But when it comes to the kinds of things that you and I talk about on this podcast, I feel no joy in them. Yeah. I feel no joy in talking about them right now. Well, that you and that's br- that is a marked shift for me. Yeah. Well, you bring up an interesting point there because one of the things about our 24-7 news world in an event like this, I remember this feeling, you know, when Sandy Hook happened, I remember just, it's not far from where I live. Mm. My kids were the exact same age as those kids. And it just, you immediately put yourself into the position of those parents and you hear these anecdotes. I'm sure you've read them and I'm sorry to bring it up, but it's, and it's tough. Trigger warning. The day of Sandy Hook, they had all the parents in a, you know, a holding place waiting to hear about the children. And one by one, parents were told, oh, we found your kid, we found your kid. And then there came a time when there were just a few left and they said, that your kid's dead. And that they were screams, peals of screams coming out. So that just happened down in Texas. And the problem is that that goes into your mind and it doesn't come out. It becomes part of your conscience. It can't help but get into you and become part of your conscience. And then when you, when you read about people who did not have that experience, for whom that event, that event of conscience did not happen, you just don't fucking understand it. You know, you... You're like, what the hell's wrong with you? What in the holy hell is wrong with you? And then these people want to come in. Well, we're having cooler minds. We're talking about the Second Amendment. You can't, you, know, you really can't change anything by taking away the guns. Oh, please. It's so shockingly, as you said, it's so shocking that not even the barest common sense is, is acceptable. And we know it's all corrupted from money. It's just like power and money have prevented us from fulfilling our mandate as a country, as a community, as a nation, as a people, to protect ourselves with basic protections, basic laws. And the fact that we feel so hopeless, and you and I being in the business of having to really address it and talk about it, 
It's uh, I mean, but all everybody is dealing with it. It's not just uh, it's not just people that are having no. to write about it. It's it's the, all of us, and it's like a burden, man. Well, I think uh, just hearing you talk about that made me think like it's such a perfect storm that got us here because you can't have a conversation with someone who doesn't see it to even just say, here are the facts. You know, one of the things that's constantly parroted back is that this isn't a gun issue, it's a mental health issue. And mm-hmm. sure, mental health in this country is a gigantic problem. It's interesting that now Republicans want to talk about mental health. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, the other 364 yeah. days of the year where they're cutting spending on mental health or making fun of people who have uh, differences or handicaps or mm-hmm. who are are struggling and calling them whatever. And that making fun of kids who have um, differences and who whatever. So it's funny now that that, that mental health is, is such a crisis to them. But they're not open to hearing the fact that, okay, well, our incidences of mental health are no different in this country than they are in other countries, yet our, our school shootings are astronomically higher than other countries, and there's only one reason why that's the case, right? That's a, that's a compelling data set, right? It's just a fact. It's based on actual numbers. Mm-hmm. But people aren't willing to hear that because we have spent years with a media that is really effective, creating a completely alternate set of facts and a completely distorted sense of what's actually happening in reality. Um, That media machine has caused the general population to become more and more extreme and the general population becoming more, (laughs) yes, well, them becoming more and more extreme has allowed them to elect politicians who are more and more extreme. And it's just a vicious cycle. And we are now at the point where we are unable to talk to one another. There is no, people's opinions are so baked and they're so baked incorrectly. And there's no, I don't know, how are you talking to people who just can believe a completely different set of facts that are deadly? They're not, this is not fighting over inflation, which is an important fight to have. And God willing, we should all be so lucky to have fights over inflation. But these are matters of life and death for our children, for the future of the place that we have called home. And we can't have those conversations. It's, it's, it's broken. It's broken. Can it be repaired? Can it be fixed? Can it be Humpty Dumpty be glued back together again? I, I point the finger back at this business we're in. I mean, it's, yes, Fox News is like brain worms for like right-wingers and it creates all kinds of alternate realities and propaganda. But, you know, between social media, cable news, there's this 24-7 exposure to the things that we're looking at and talking about. And, you know, you and I, it's funny because you have talked about this. Nick Bilton's been on here talking about this too. That uh, Nick Bilton is a critic of social media and and that kind of part of the news cycle in that churn. I don't, I know for a fact that that also damages your mental health, right? Can I, can I give a personal anecdote about that? Yes, please. Okay. So, you know, I don't really go on Twitter anymore. I know. And I really, I was, it's so funny. I was in an Uber. I never go in Ubers anymore, right? Yeah. Like since the pandemic, but I was in an Uber. I couldn't drive somewhere this week. So I was in an Uber. And if this was, I guess, I don't know what day anything is anymore. It was the day that the shooting happened. I'm in the back of an Uber and the Uber is listening to a radio 
a radio station, and they're playing soft music. And the disc jockey got on the the radio and said, there's been a school shooting. I don't even feel comfortable playing music right now. I think everyone should turn their station to the news station. Never heard that before. Wow. I never hear the radio anymore. I, who listens right. to the radio? And I, when I say on, all the time on this podcast that I find the news finds me if I'm not on Twitter, like this is maybe the most perfect example of that I've ever heard in my life. And the second I heard that, I obviously felt sick and I, I opened Twitter and I saw what was happening and I immediately had to, I didn't want to read anything about it. I didn't want to read about the ways in which this happened. I certainly didn't want to read about the murderer. Um, I didn't want to read numbers and I kept hearing it because the guy kept the radio on. And I only opened Twitter when I got into bed that night, which is maybe the dumbest thing I ever mm. did. Mm-hmm. And I came across a thread about active shooter drills in school and the trauma that it can cause for mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. And it was uh, probably tens of responses, maybe more, from people who were describing the traumatic experiences of being locked out of a classroom during an active shooter drill. And the teachers basically say, like, we will not let you in. And hearing friends who were locked out during a drill, just hysterically crying, banging on the door, and the trauma that has caused them for mm. de- a decade. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, it made me realize I never want to go on social media again because I couldn't sleep the entire night. And also, we are traumatizing an entire generation who are not experiencing a school shooting. We, you know, these these beautiful yeah. children who were killed this week. It's the worst thing I could ever imagine. But there are millions of children in this country who are having traumatic experiences by yeah, just preparing for something like this. Well, let me just tell you right right to your point. Our school that our kids go to, they're not letting them go to recess until the, for the rest of the week because they're, the whole school is going to be on lockdown with a cop out front wearing a bulletproof vest. Oh. Okay, the cop wears the bulletproof vest. Sure. One of my daughters refused to go to school today, and who can blame her? Right? I couldn't. My other daughter Good for went, you for, and she for letting her take her her time. She said, "I want." A, she said, "Is there such a thing as a mental health day? Because I need one today." And we were like, "Hell yes, there is, and you can stay home." And my other daughter went and wa- did a part of a walkout at the school with her teacher, and her wow. teacher was saying to the kids, "Was just angry and shaking." My daughter reported back to me because of the horrible gun laws and how could this be? And they're looking at these kids. These are their kids in their class. They have to answer to them, right? I mean, that's what Beto said when he went and had his little speech outside that press conference. He says, I have to answer to my children that this is happening in their state. They're seeing it on the news. They're saying, what the fuck? I've got to answer to them. I have to answer and then that's that's about as personal as it gets. Your own children looking at you going, why? Why is it like this? Why can't we do something about it? And boy, I would love to have Ted Cruz at a press conference and have my kids there to buttonhole him about that and see if he can, you know, get away with being a cynical douchebag. Probably. Sorry. He probably can because he's he's a reptile. spent his whole I mean, life... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we've seen enough of him to know who he is at his core. But I think that this is is the fundamental thing 
and I think we've been saying versions of this for years, that who do we want to be when our children ask us who we are, right? And we think about that in our family. We think about that as citizens. We think about that in a macro and a micro level probably every day. And I feel ashamed that I'm going to have to answer for this one day. I really, I, mm-hmm. it's such a hard thing, I think, as a parent, and I say this as a very new parent, so it's hard for me to to give any grand sweeping lessons as a parent, but um, to feel like I don't know more than she does and I won't be able to be a guiding light for her on this because I can't answer her. I can't give her a definitive thing. It's a really, it's a bad feeling. And I feel like we've lost our way and I can't be a guide through that for her because I don't know how to guide myself through it. Well, that it's because they're in uncharted territory and we don't have any background on how to respond to this. We're both at a loss here, and hopefully by the time we come back next week, we will, I don't know, we're not going to have any answers for you, but maybe we'll be able to find some levity by the time we get back next week. Well, here's what I would say. Here's what I will say. I mean, paying attention to the news, becoming angry and passionate, trying to figure out what is an outlet for this. How can we help? How can we change things? Yes, we can vote. What else? What else can we do? Is there any hope in voting in any way? I mean, we want to believe there is. In the meantime, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I do know this, and this was what I was talking about earlier with the Twitter thing, was like, um, I'm recalibrating, me personally, recalibrating my relationship to not just social media, but how much I'm going to expose myself to this. How much am I going to read about this all weekend long? And I have noticed that when the weekends come around and I don't have to think about the news, I've been able to just put it away and live in a world of my friends and my family and the outdoors and being in, out in the world, in the real world, by the way. <laughs> you know, like the one we actually physically embody is the only world I find any hope in anymore. And if my entire reality just becomes, you know, my neighborhood and my friends and my kids and their friends and the way we interact while we're actually in front of each other, unplugged, right? Well, then that's a reality that that's the only one I can affect. Mm. And, you know, I can get into the local school board. I, I voted for my school board recently, and I voted for the people I thought that, you know, represented what I felt. And that's the closest democracy as, as I can get, is just protecting my world, you know? And I hate to be so... But it's the purest form of democracy. You know, we're talking about democracy breaking. Democracy is in ruins. Or the Republicans want to destroy democracy, right? They don't like it. Well, it has broken on the national level. And in some instances, broken on the state level. But in my local area, it's still working. You know, we still can see that a vote leads to a thing, leads to a thing. And I don't know. Maybe that's where the only place I can put any real hope because the rest of it is this giant national national politics media monstrosity that just is the an image of a person bashing their head against a brick wall over and over again. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Well, I guess I'm moving I'm moving there to you. And your yeah, well, your local 
come. You, Safe you're, bubble. You're welcome. You're, you're welcome to come live in my neighborhood. Well, Joe, let's, I think let's call it. Let's call <laughs> and, it, yeah. And by the way, summer's here. Let's get outside, try to breathe, get some fresh air, and hold our loved ones tight. Yeah, we have, we are both very fortunate to have very many blessings and children to tuck in at night and spouses whom we love and respect and families and, and a job that we love. And I feel like this week just gives you more of a, of a perspective and more of a sense of never take those things for granted and to be as sad as we are, as angry as we are, it is feels easier this week to find the joy in the things that are the most important. Puts it into bold relief for sure. Sure. All right, Joe. Well, we will see you all right here next week. Joe, I will see you here and uh, happier days ahead. Happier days ahead. Mm-hmm.